the first thing would be, let's do whatever. Right, I got this. It's okay. We're recording. Meet the people who make Burning Man happen. Around the world. The dreamers and doers. The artists, freaks and fools. Burning Man Live. Welcome back. Our team is back from Black Rock City, and we miss it already. If you miss it too, or you missed it altogether, here are some sounds and sentiments of being there. Resident philosopher Caveat Magister leads a few of us in conversation and pretends to be Stuart Mangrum. <laughs> this conversation is silly and serious, profound and profane. Listen between the jokes for the truth bombs and the jokes that bomb. And note, it starts out with a lot of background noise and then settles down. And then it goes all over the place because the place is Black Rock City. Let's go. You're listening to Burning Man Live. I'm your host, Stuart Mangrum, director of Burning Man Project Philosophical Center. Wait a minute. No, I am Stuart Mangrum. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. with me for this edition are Bav, as always. Hello. And our guest, Motorbike Matt. Hey, hey, hey. And K-Bot. Hello. We were going to be doing an episode about waking dreams and Black Rock City as an ephemera, a waking dream, but our intended guest, Caveat Magister, just decided to flake on us and not show up. Master. He told us just to think of him as always having been a waking dream, mm. and now we don't have him, so instead we're going to do an episode on when things go wrong, a Burning Man topic close to all of our hearts, one that has been from the beginning, and one that our panel has a lot of expertise in, I suspect. But first, let's set the scene. Bav, tell us what's going on around us right now. We are here at Black Rock City 2022, against all odds. I think that's the art theme this year, right? Stuart? Yes. Great. And we came to Motorbike Matt's webcast. He's been doing this for 92 years. 92. And right when we hit record, a huge refrigerator truck drove up and is sitting right next to us. I think it's actually on K-Bot's foot. Mm. They are humming in the background, and it's because things went wrong. Yep. First Camp Kitchen has a big refrigerator truck, and it died. They brought another one in. Now it's all teamworky in the background. They are delivering a huge amount of filet mignon to First Camp right now. Yes, those honey-drizzled figs with blue cheese look delicious. Pretty sure that's a lobster crawling out. <laughs> I, I when the lobsters escape, you know you have a problem. So, let's talk about things going wrong at Burning Man. Now, I'm sure if Caveat were here, he would point out, as he does incessantly, that he had wanted the title of his book about Burning Man philosophy, The Scene That Became Cities, to be There Are Only Amateurs. Because when things only go right, it means it's being done by professionals. And the secret sauce of Burning Man, or one of these secret sauces, is that it is not done by professionals. Even if people are professionals, they are trying new things. They are pushing themselves in new ways. When you bring in professionals and tell them what to do, they do it to spec. And so, ideally, nothing does go wrong. Whereas when you bring in amateurs who are trying things that they've never done before, even if it's at a very high level, all kinds of things go wrong, and inspiration and magic and growth therefore happen. And love. And love. You're right, he would have forgotten the love. Well, because amateur, something-something about the language 
right. et- etymology, entomology, something. Let's assume big words were used. Yes. Yes. <laughs> this is something that our panelists have a lot of experience with, such as Motorbike Matt, who has been doing the webcast for 129 years. 129, this is actually 130. 130. And uh, about half of them have been complete failures. Tell us a little about, about your experience at Burning Man with things going terribly wrong. Oh, well, I think my first big failure actually was in 2013 when uh, we had a mutant vehicle called the Mars Rover Art Car. We were going to come out and we were going to do explorations over video and we were going to take a microscope and look at fairy shrimp and broadcast them back. And then the org said no. What happened? What happened was, is that in 2012, there were some concerns about roving cameras and people's privacy, about having a camera looking at, you know, things that people didn't want their cameras to be focused on. Like moop. Like moop, exactly, and and boop, (laughs) and other things like that. And so when I came out and said I wanted to do that, the Media Mecca comms team said, not exactly a good idea right now. And so what did you do instead? Well, what happened was, is their camera broke, their camera failed, and after they said no to me, they came back and said, hey, Motorbike Matt, remember when we said no about a roaming camera? Um, Could you actually fix it for us so we could use your camera instead? So a cascading failure led to a success. Exactly. That is the story of my success here. It's usually I need about that third failure, and it turns around. So it's, I'm winning, I lost, I'm winning, I lost, and now I'm finally, maybe I'm kind of getting there. That's an important lesson for us all. Now, K-Bot, you're involved with the comms team. Yes, I am. The people who said no to Motorbike Matt in 2013 who crushed his dream. Well, yeah, I mean, having crushed dreams is just part of the process, right? If we don't come in and crush your dream every once in a while, then... You can't rebuild your dream and make it better. You get too comfortable. And That's it. Burning Man is not about comfort. No, no, no. We probably looked at Matt and said, this dude is too comfortable. Mm. How can we fuck him up? Mm-hmm. Now, have you had a project or a dream or a passion that has been crushed on Playa only to be reborn like a dusty phoenix? Yes. Okay, so my first burn in 2004, we decided to build a dome And that dome was made of bamboo. And I think I've shared this story before, but we successfully built it in the park in Canada. And then when we brought the dome out here, of course, all the bamboo just shredded and blew all over our camp in a big, moopy mess. We were dehydrated and very depressed. And the bamboo was dehydrated. Very, very dehydrated. Did it become a success? Yes, because we continued building domes and we continued learning as everyone builds domes out here. And now I have a camp that's all domes. And now it's kind of dome override, like there's too many domes. What do you do with all that dome? Your success has turned into failure. Yes. (laughs) Empty domes. All those damn domes sitting around the playa. Oh, and storing the domes and moving the domes and replacing parts on the domes. I mean, it's kind of too much now. You know what we need is fewer domes. No more domes. Can we get on that? I'm on it, yeah, for next year. Fantastic. What about pyramids? Ooh, pyramid power. I like it. You know, there's a whole movement of dome power from the 70s, and then Mm. there was pyramid power. Channel that energy. Concentrate it. Now, Vav, you've been involved in Burning Man for 20 years, 25 years, 55 years, years, right? Yes. And the Cacophony Society as well for uh, 93 years prior to that. What does failure out here mean to you? Failure is predictable. Failure is what we 
are here to learn from. Yeah, failure's the learning point. I, I try to stay uptight as long as I can when I get out here. I try to stay on task and make everything work the way that it could. And then it just beats me down and I finally crack and give up right about on Thursday of the week, which is what today is. Have you, Burn week. Have you cracked and given up yet today? Yes. <laughs> I'm I, proud of you. <laughs> I started giving up when Kbot showed up in a cast uh, <laughs> because her leg gave up on her before she got to Playa. Total fail. And Massive. I, I was all ready to schmooze Caveat and get his autograph and give him a bunch of swag, and he just never showed. So I, all I have is Stuart to hang out with mm. here today. You know, Caveat's just the pretty face of the philosophical center. True. Does it get more interesting after the player breaks you down? It definitely does, because I start being the cowboy that, um, that you are, Stuart. I start just rolling with the punches, imagining how it might unfold without me or without my little spreadsheets or my checklists. And you know what? I can put in half the effort and get the same results. So why was I putting in all that effort? I sure hope I never forget this lesson. Oh, I probably will next time. Yeah, the cycle, right, of relearning, uh, and especially after a three-year break where we forgot a bunch of stuff, or we're just different people now. So mm -hmm. we, we were doing consistently the same thing year after year. Maybe there'd be more progress, but I feel like there's, at least in my case, been a little bit of backsliding where I'm like, wow, I need to figure this out all over again. Yeah. I think I've been in a weird space with all this, too. Because for the past two years, we actually managed to go out and record and broadcast a man burn off the Wallapai out of Fly Ranch. So I've actually been in my container every year on schedule as planned. I've been able to use this stuff with my crew, within, with Sinatra today. So coming in, I'm all fresh and have these wrong expectations of like, <laughs> oh yeah, my stuff is ready. And I came in a week early to make sure that it was like, I'm not going to be the one who's going to screw everybody up. And I wasn't. <laughs> that must feel good. Hey guys, hey, hey. I'm oh. sorry. So sorry to interrupt you. I just need to let you know several sparkle ponies have escaped animal control. They're trampling people out on the playa. We really need you down there. Oh, boy. Oh, um, can, why don't we get DPW on the radio? Uh, have them get some wagons from Wagon Camp and circle them up. We need the lead sparkle pony wrangler stat. Yes. DPW has already refused to help with I just want to watch. Don't can they, I just watch? Don't they know the value of a captured sparkle pony and how you can milk them and well, tame if, them? If we can't get DPW, we can just get Gate. It's all the same thing, the right? Is I'm Stuart Mank from the Rectal <laughs> Philosophical Center. The stampede's moving toward Gate right now. Um, <laughs> formed a human wall. Oh. So it should be interesting. I think. We'll let you know how it Yeah, let's, we'll keep track of that. Sorry for the interruption. You are listening to Burning Man Live. We just had a sparkle pony related emergency, but this is. Live at Black Rock City with Motorbike Matt, KBot, and as always, Vav. So it seems like a lot of people have had that experience of coming back here and finding things failing in part because they have changed. To go back to another Burning Man theme, is failure a necessary condition of metamorphosis? Well, the butterfly is goo. It's a caterpillar, then it turns into goo, and then it becomes a butterfly that the goo is... Kind of a messy, sticky failure temporarily, right? The Christialis is a failure. Hmm. If we're not changing, are we not? There will only be no failure if we're not changing. That's right. Yeah. Well, to quote all of my 
very wealthy tech entrepreneur inventor friends, you know, fail forward, fail often. So I guess that's what we're out here to do, is to have great expectations and then have the burn that we have, not the burn that we want. And to let go of perfectionism, which is really pervasive in our culture. I think perfectionism is the enemy of inspiration. Yeah, if you're always focused on what you believe is perfect, you're throwing out all the other opportunities, all the other uh, outcomes that might actually and most likely are better than what you originally came up with. This must be something that you deal with a lot, Matt, as having to, to constantly cherry-rig systems. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it is actually fun. Most of the stuff that I've ever brought out here has been used stuff. So I know the person most of the time, and I trust that it works. For example, this actually was working even better before everybody came. And then, of course, just when you plug things up as to use it, it doesn't work like it was supposed to. So, But I think that having those kinds of reflexes to be able to respond to failure allows you to be more creative. Because now I have new ideas of how you know we could do it inside that refrigerator truck and eat at the same time as we're doing this. That's yeah. genius. And finally get to wear our cool clothes exactly. that we brought for the cold nights, which have not been cold. So all yeah. my cool furry jackets or whatever. Uh, actually, my three-piece suits that are too hot to wear during the day, I could wear them in the fridge it, truck that's right. when we record. I'll I, look dapper for this audio program. Yeah, you know what they don't know is that it, I actually broke the refrigerator truck explicitly to get in there, but oh well. They criminal mastermind you. <laughs> they fixed it too soon. Something that also has struck me as this burn has been going on and as so many things have been going wrong uh, is the realization that, which I think I'd forgotten over the years, that Burning Man crises are very intense. We feel them very intensely. But if you can take a step back, the stakes are usually very low. Mm -hmm. That actually very little is really at stake. We are just so in it and feel so intensely about it. Yeah. That From the webcast perspective, I feel the burden of like thousands of other people who couldn't make it to the playa for whatever reason, but maybe they hurt their leg, or maybe they, uh, financial or whatever, all these other reasons. So I definitely feel a big burden to try to make sure that we, we provide that kind of opportunity for them to be a remote participant. The most amazing thing is that they're also the most forgiving people. They see just even a blurry picture of a drone in the sky or, or of the manned neon at night, and they are just showering us with love. And that is where you can't fail, even though I'm desperately trying. It's been, what, 173 years now? Yeah. And it's uh, 204. 200. Uh, that's yeah. I forgot about those last 30. I think that you're right about the stakes being low in reality, but in our hearts and our minds, it seems like it's high. And that's the wonderful part because we get to break our egos out here mm -hmm. and realize that, no, actually, you can still get by and do good enough and still express creativity and bring joy. Something that makes this environment unique is that we are so not only forgiving of failure, but, but often welcoming mm. of it. There's a way in which if you try something and fall into the dust flat on your face, there are lots of people who first will applaud, but then who will <laughs> stretch out their hands, offer to help you up, dust you off, and see how you can do it better next time. Mm -hmm. There's an embrace of that aesthetic of, well, of course something went wrong here. Yeah, and you get better burn barrel stories when you, everybody's talking about, hey, I screwed this up, wasn't that funny? Oh, I, well, I did worse than that. <laughs> Those are a staple out here, absolutely.
Yeah, and the idea that in you know non-Burning Man life that there's shame that accompanies failure and mistakes and things getting messed up and there's you know you're trying to fix your mistake. There's something really liberating about the transparency of a mistake here where you can't hide it it's in front of everybody most likely and there's no point in trying to like oh i meant to do that it's a sort of open secret that things aren't going the way you intended and that's where the collaboration comes into play mm-hmm. well i was going to say the whole thing about the refrigerator truck noise in the background was just a ruse because we're actually flying in a plane to Burning Man right now, exactly. to Black Rock City, and we're all going to parachute out, which is, in a way, I'm glad Caveat's not here, because he really does not like skydiving. Not after that thing that happened last time. And, you know, fail forward or learn from your mistakes doesn't go well with skydiving. And, the man uh, cannot handle his vertigo. No. Yes, yes. No. But there are a lot of people applauding in the background. That doesn't make sense for an airplane, so... I'm not sure what the story is going to be here. Somebody is very happy about something that's happened on that refrigerator truck. <laughs> I see one empty one and one full one now. They have moved all the food from one to the other, <laughs> and now they're celebrating their glory. Yes, there are the obvious things that go wrong out on the playa. It's so dusty, your combo lock stops working, your generator stops working, your refrigerator truck, yep. but also so many burns maybe postponed because of weather. Mm-hmm. That's just the background of workability not working that will hopefully humble us and, and help us manage our expectations. But we're still disappointed. But when, the mad hustle when something goes wrong in a big way, such as a burn not being possible, and the huge effort where everyone comes together to do it again better elsewhere, that's beautiful. So there's this like acknowledgement that something didn't happen as planned. And then there's either a let it go because that's just what we have to do. Or everyone comes together and tries to make it right. That I love about Burning Man. I think the point that, that our culture handles failure differently than other cultures or that our culture broadly is an important one for, for us to think about. When we were doing the the 2016 theme series on art, money, and the Renaissance, uh, one of the things we realized was that Renaissance Florence had an amazing art culture, and so much of it was dominated by competitions. And competitions, of course, mean that most people who make art proposals are not going to make it. They're going to fail. But what Florence did differently from what we generally do is that there was absolutely no shame attached Mm. to failing. It was seen as a perfectly normal part of the process. And so there was no reason that you had to succeed or else. If you failed in interesting ways, you were going to accrue glory, you were going to get noticed, you were going to be seen. And so people were putting their most creative best feet forward as opposed to playing it safe and trying to make sure that they won because everything depended on that. And that, we realize, is very different from the way failure is often handled in the culture of, of the world that we live in, where the stakes seem so high because if you don't get the grant, if you don't get the job, if you fail in so many ways, then your livelihood could be lost. And the stakes, rather than being low Burning Man stakes, are actually very significant stakes. And so there is a way in which a Burning Man culture that recognizes failure and welcomes it and accepts it allows for much more creativity to flourish. and for people to learn from their failures much more easily. 
<laughs> well, that just oh. closed the door on that conversation. That, that huge robot just <laughs> fell over. That huge robot just fell over into the clown car. I hope they're all okay. Oh, uncomfortable silence. Uh, We're all watching well, the robot in the clown car, and it's what? very amusing. Just... We have an announcement. Uh, breaking news just came over the radio. The peanut butter art car just crashed into two chocolate camps. People are very upset. They're also overjoyed. So... What a delicious tragedy. Mm. I wouldn't have expected those two flavors to taste good together. No. It's so might. sticky and melty and so good. We need to get Resto out there, though, don't we? Yeah, we have a dairy camp on the way, so <laughs> they'll be doing work pretty quickly. On okay, it sounds, it sounds uh, like that's being distributing it to the rest of the burn. Okay, a dairy camp. <laughs> <laughs> well, I want to hear about the failure that you most learned from in your lives. Mm. The failure that you most learned from, whether whether out here or elsewhere in the world. For me, the one that probably stands out in my life. I had a really bad week, and it was transformative because it ended up being the end of a relationship and the, a lot of expense, and I think back to it, and everything was because I was trying to go too fast. Like, I was trying to get too much done too quickly and expecting it to be, like, everything to fall in place, and then the problem was is that everything had dependency on the thing prior to being successful. And when the one mistake happened, there was no way around it. It was too inflexible, too far beyond repair. Because it was like, well, that's not going to work, and then I'm not going to make it to this, and then I'm going to miss that flight, and then, oh, that opportunity got lost. And so, yeah. So I think going too fast is always the, the lesson that I always have to remind myself not to do because I keep doing it sometimes. Don't go too fast is the lesson you Yeah, learn. don't go too fast, even though I constantly, you know, persistently always moving too fast with everything. But I... I get more and more reminders of that one cascading failure. And so then I'm like, okay, I'm going to take a deep breath. I'm going to make sure, can I do step three without step two? Because that's probably not going to happen. And yeah, that's how I kind of get through things nowadays. Hey, Bot. I don't really have a concept of failure. To me, it's always a journey. I mean, sure, like when like your dome fails or your you know, you lose your passport at Burning Man or whatever, like that kind of thing is like, yeah, okay, that's a failure. But in life's journey, I'm really a glass half full person. But the one thing that did come to me that I kind of consider a failure and that I struggle with regularly is that I struggle to learn to drive a car. And the weird thing about me is I can do extremely complex things. I can figure out really hard puzzles and challenges, but when it comes to really simple things like adulting, like driving a car. It took me years to get my license again after um, maybe 20 years of not driving a car, and I still don't drive in a way that I feel comfortable with. The flip side of that is I'm a walker, and I will memorize neighborhoods and walk everywhere and explore every little nook and cranny of where I happen to be or live, and I think that that's the sunny side of that, not driving. If I was just driving a car everywhere in my life, I wouldn't have the intimate knowledge of my surroundings that I do. You've learned to find alternatives. I would love to just 
pack up my car and drive to a Burning Man regional and do that autonomously. I always have to rely on other people and that journey can be amazing and that journey can also be fraught with complexity. So I'm still working on it and I expect within 12 months that I will be able to drive myself to a Burning Man regional, but I don't really know. Do you think that will change the relationship with walking? neighborhoods? Mm, it could because there may be times when I'll drive out of convenience instead of um, taking the slow way somewhere and planning. I, I always bake in time for the journey and if I'm cutting that journey by a third and just getting there, yeah, it's going to change my relationship with my surroundings. There are often unexpected consequences to success. That's something that I think we are culture broadly is very bad at articulating and, and recognizing. Bab, personal failure, what you've learned from it. Well, Stuart, we've crossed paths off and on since the mid-90s, but we've been working together here in the Philosophical Center a couple years, so you, it's obvious that I don't make mistakes. I don't have failures. To you, it's obvious, because you've watched me. Every day. Never taken my eye off you. I will say this. You don't know about the spyware on your Oh, goodness. I don't. Uh, About half a dozen years ago, I was out here... During Build Week, a few friends and I jumped in the car and did a rocket run to a hot springs over there at the base of the mountain. It was the last time time we could do it before uh, we shut down perimeter. And we had a great time at the hot springs. And then as we drove back, my sense of direction that I'm so proud of, so good at knowing where I am and how to get back, it failed me somehow. It's always there except for when it's not. And I could not find Burning Man. So I worried, and I thought, oh, all about me. I don't know where I'm going. I'm embarrassed. I'm lost. I hope this turns out all right. But I had a walkie-talkie radio with me, and I started hearing Perimeter talking about a bogey out in the field. They were talking about me, and they started saying, now he's going the wrong way. Now he's going north. Now he's going east. And I listened to them talk about me, and that guided me in and around the airport, and in through, back into camp. So the learning there was, I don't always need to know what's going on. I just need to have a team that knows what's going on, and we'll all make it together. Sometimes we rely on other people in ways that we can't rely on ourselves. Yeah. Mm -hmm. One thing I'm really happy about with the past couple years is that my Black Rock City experiences have been inside of a container, Mm -hmm. for the most part. And now that I have a team like with Danny Rambles and with uh, Sinatra, Andrew Ganzon, I've actually been able to go back to Burning Man. Mm-hmm. 2013 was my best prior burn. And then I started doing the webcast and I'm like, they're okay, they're good. And then 2019, these guys came in, guys and gals. And then all of a sudden, I had the best burn ever in 2019. This is one of the things that we need to keep in mind when we talk about one of our 10 principles, radical self-reliance, which is that it exists in conjunction with all of the other principles, including communal effort. Yeah. We want to emphasize radical self-reliance, but we also want to emphasize doing things together and working with teams. And we're not just doing one or the other, we're doing both. We want people to have as much individual agency as they can, but we also want people to build infrastructure and connections and do things together that they cannot do on their own. That the, the two are not mutually exclusive. On yeah. the contrary, they can support each other. Infrastructure can support radical self-reliance. Radical self-reliance can support infrastructure. People who see things going terribly wrong can be self-reliant and mm-hmm. jump in to fix them, while 
having structures in place can help people be self-reliant who otherwise wouldn't be able to. Yeah, and that's my biggest lesson, actually, is that now that I've, I've sort of gained trust or maybe I've opened up to trust people more, um, I'm more confident that uh, the stream and the webcast will be taken care of, and then I can go off and wander. And that's been happening more, and so it's been a refreshing opportunity to kind of re-experience Burning Man. And I'm going to guess that it doesn't make you feel one less bit self-reliant. No, <laughs> not at all. More self-reliant, more, if anything. Far more, yeah, right. exactly. Self-reliance can be enhanced by communal mm-hmm. effort. Absolutely, yeah. So you're saying the 10 principles are not 10 checkboxes I need to complete, like 10 pieces of a puzzle and I become a whole complete burner? Like, They're actually just 10 different distinctions that were identified through observation and documented and some have tensions and some are complementary and some are not. Creative tension is at the heart of the 10 principles. Awesome. Michael <laughs> I was trying to collect them all. I guess that's not right. Oh no, you need them all. Okay. But they exist together, all happening at once. You can't break them apart and say, well, this is going to be where the radical self-reliance is, and this is going to be where the participation is, and this is going to be where the radical inclusion is. You have to have them all operating at the same time. The Ten Principles, collect them all. I'm just going to interject that Fab Five Freddy keeps walking around below our deck, and that's really cool. Carry on. Maybe he's lost, which is a failure, which is just a success in waiting. I just came up here to tell you guys that that sound you just heard is the warning signal the hippie traps are all full. They're actually overflowing in the death field right now. Oh. I need you guys to maybe get on your radios, help me out with this. Have we caught all the hippies? Yes, the fur is actually clogging the sewer drains of the city, the fake fur, right now. There's just no Oh dear, I think Burning Man is over. Our work here is done. We've yeah. never caught all the hippies this early before. We're over quota. This wow. is great. This Pack is, it up. This is failure through success. I can zoom in on the art. <laughs> <laughs> So, we've talked about our personal experiences of failure, now about Burning Man's failures. Mm -hmm. Significant failures in Burning Man history that turned out to take us somewhere interesting. I always go back to the 2016 man, uh, the Turning Man, Mm -hmm. for the uh, Da Vinci's Mm -hmm. workshop, which had to stay upside down. It was supposed to be a turning Vitruvian man that, you know, participants could crank a wheel and it would rotate on its axis, uh, and it would be very participatory, but it did not work, and in order to avoid the whole thing self-destructing, they had to leave it upside down for a number of days, rather than create a sense of depression, sadness, failure among the participants, everyone took delight in it, and it became a symbol of how it is okay to do something ambitious and end up... (laughs) metaphorically and literally on your ass in this case. On your head. Um, Yeah. It has turned into, I think, a very useful symbol of part of what we do, that yes, it's okay to be ambitious. It's okay to dream big, and it won't necessarily go the way that you want it to go. But look, something delightful came out of it anyway, and it's okay. Again, the stakes are often much lower than we think they are, even with something as big as the man. So that's what occurs to me. What occurs to you? Well, I love that, that it was a huge visual on the horizon for everyone, the icon of the event being upside down, being not the way it was designed to be because it got stuck that way. And it was because all of the wood and all of the gears, all of the process that they tried to design 
changed when it got out into the arid desert. If only they had talked to Kabot about what happened when they built a dome with bamboo and then it dried up like astronaut ice cream. You could have told them, but, you know, you wouldn't have because they needed to learn from trial and error. Well, yeah, nobody asked me. I was right there saying, guys, guys, I have information for you, but... They were like, that's that chick whose uh, dome went crazy. She has no credibility. We're not asking her. That's dome lady. (laughs) (laughs) Dome failure lady. Don't talk to dome failure. She doesn't know. You don't have a Twitter account? You didn't put it out there? No, definitely did not. Failing on the internet is its own own topic. (laughs) Oh, boy. The internet is simply less forgiving. Yeah. Um, and that's the problem. We are forgiving here. We, we celebrate failure. We recognize that we're all doing it and all learning from it. Uh, and the internet goes differently. I would say an interesting failure of Burning Man's is that we became a victim of our own success. Mm. And when the ticket started to sell out and Instagram culture picked up, a lot of organizations would think that that was success. If it was Coachella or some other big event, obviously it would be like, hey, we're selling out and the models love us. But that was a cultural failure that we took years to manage and understand. And I think we're getting there now. I think that this grassroots event that became a sort of sensational thing is kind of reverting back to its grassroots self. That's what I'm seeing. And it's very encouraging. But I think that without a few years of hype, we would have never understood the risks of that and what it could really do to us as a culture. I think grassroots and amateur is the same general idea. You make what you can with what you have, and you love it, and it is what it is. You're doing it because you love it, yeah. Labors of love are always going to be different than professionals working to spec. It's, it's mm-hmm. always going to have a different quality. The stakes are going to be different. The feelings are going to be different. You're always going to push yourself in different ways, and you're never going to accept the time to stop. You're going to give a labor of love 100% mm-hmm. in a way that you very rarely do if you are doing something just to get it done just for the paycheck. It's true. One of the things that I see that uh, – let's, let's, I want to call it a failure so much as just an opportunity that needs to be taken advantage of don't see a lot of young people. I see young people, but I don't see a generational shift. I don't see a good handoff. I see a lot of interested, self-motivated people, but I'm not sure I see something where we're growing at the rate of acceptance in society amongst people that are more accustomed to the tools of communication that we have these days. Like you were talking about Instagram. There's so much distraction in the world, and somehow... We need to find a way to cut through that distraction in the real world, not just here. Here, we like the distraction. Oh, squirrel, there's this art, or we don't keep time. It's playa time. I'd like to figure out how we can bring more young blood into not only onto the playa itself, but also into leadership and into planning in regionals as well as into the heart of the work itself. This is a question of radical inclusion in many ways, Mm -hmm. and... Part of the difficulty with that comes from the fact that our community is very much pushing in the other direction in mm-hmm. a lot of ways. Let's restrict tickets to long-standing burners. Let's restrict tickets mm-hmm. to existing theme camps and the people who have done this a lot. And that's very understandable, and it creates a sclerosis if you're not careful. Uh, radical inclusion is in many ways the lifeblood of 
a new creative movement. Gary Warren, the founder of the Suicide Club, actually left the Suicide Club after a few years because he felt it was too insular, because mm -hmm. it wasn't bringing new people in, whereas the motto of the Cacophony Society was, you may already be a member, as inclusive as possible. That is a tension in our culture right now. How do we support and even reward people who have been doing this for so long and given so much, while also bringing so many new people in who, who we need? Yeah, and one of the things that is really exciting to me about this culture is the teaching and learning that comes from elders. And that's rare. It's rarer and rarer in consumerist contemporary society mm -hmm. that we respect our elders and what they've been through and what they can teach us. And here in Black Rock City and in Burning Man culture in general, we have that in spades. The only problem is there aren't enough people to learn from us at this point. We're kind of a culture of elders were getting there. I think something shifted. It was on its way before, but something really changed with the 2016 presidential election, mm -hmm. where everyone felt an enormous sense of crisis in the world and had a feeling that they had to do something essential about it, that all the essential work had to be focused on that. I remember in 2016 or 2017, our, uh, our errant guest, Caveat, uh, did a panel on politics uh, at the GLC. Uh, Larry Harvey was on it, and he said, we're going to tackle this head on and talk about what Burning Man would mean as a political movement, what its options are and what they aren't. And the panel was something of a disaster because the crowd just wanted to say things. They didn't want to hear a nuanced discussion about what we can and can't do. They said, you need to live up to the urgency of the moment now. And so eventually, the, you just sort of stopped having a panel discussion and just said, okay, come up on stage, tell us what you think we need to hear. There was this real sense of new urgency that said that anything that seemed frivolous, like perhaps Burning Man, might not be relevant anymore. There was a turn towards the very activist, the very hard-edged in politics, in, you know, in all, everything had to be relevant to this. And I think what we have learned after four-plus years of apocalypse mm -hmm. is that in fact, while it is important, it is crucial to directly address these systemic issues, that the apocalypse grinds us down in ways that makes the frivolous all the more important. That in fact, we have to preserve our capacity to be joyful, to not become boring and stupid in the way that the apocalypse tries to make us all one-dimensional. And that in many ways, Things like Burning Man, which for about, you know, for a period of four years or so, we really had to argue, no, we're still relevant. No, you know, mm -hmm. we, this still matters. People are coming around and realizing, yeah, I have to do something to not become reduced to a level of political bullet points. I have to have access to an inner life that involves waking dreams, that involves the potential of personal failures as well as activism to address systemic collapse. There's a turning point here, at least... I certainly feel that in, in myself and my life. Yeah, and Burning Man is becoming a place where we don't only come to fill up our cups and refresh, but we're coming up with viable solutions. I mean, with climate change, we're obviously going to have to shift to different technologies, and there are thousands of people out here right now testing out technologies that don't rely on fossil fuels, and that's huge, and that does trickle down and into the culture. Testing them in an extreme environment in a civic environment, mm -hmm. so they can iterate it rapidly, yes. Now, there's always been this element of Burning Man being a place where things get prototyped and very useful 
new technologies, approaches, innovations come out of it. But I think the argument that learning for its own sake is something that we need, that we should not reduce ourselves to a place where solutions happen, but rather remind ourselves that we are a place where we come to play and rediscover yeah. ourselves is it, becoming recognizably important again. Being whimsical brings joy. And it's hard to be whimsical when you're being ground down by the apocalypse. Mm -hmm. And so forcing whimsical back into your life, the joy will still be there and remind you that it's not quite the apocalypse, that we can actually power through it. And we are more effective in the things we want to do in our life when we are not one-dimensional. Mm -hmm. When we become more than the traumas the world is inflicting on us. And we don't need to compartmentalize. I mean, we can be whimsical and develop solutions at the same time. Mm -hmm. When more is being asked of us in the world, it's not the time to cut out uh, ways to regroup, ways to get grounded and centered, ways to come together in community or, or blow off steam or discharge that stress. And one way to look at Black Rock City and other regional events is that's what, part of what we're doing out here. That comes back to a revelation that I had in 2019 where, yes, one night I went out to a sound camp and partied my ass off. And in the middle of it, I realized that when there is cultural change, there needs to be a release valve. Mm -hmm. If you don't have that release valve, then we don't have enough energy and impetus to support the work that we're doing. It's all part of the same thing. Every single era of massive social change has come with its kind of bohemian celebratory side. You can't really have one without the other. Learning how to cope with failure and cope with things when they go wrong turns out to also be an essential skill for surviving mass cultural change or adapting to it for thriving in it. Another thing we're doing out here is we're practicing for the apocalypse. Mm -hmm. <laughs> right? In 2005, I was out here. Hurricane Katrina hit the southern border of the U.S., and hundreds of people left from Black Rock City straight down to Louisiana and other parts of that area and started doing hurricane relief in ways that the national support structures weren't ready for, surprisingly, because people out here were ready. They practice it. And uh, one could argue that similar work was being done around our political issues or our other things from the Me Too movement to Black Lives Matter. Yes. One of the things I think it's, it's important to remember that they brought with them that they did when they were doing this post-Katrina relief work was that after they, they demolished homes that needed to be demolished, after they gathered a refuge, they built effigies and they burned them. They included art and whimsy and ceremony as part of that. And this ritual brought this ritual, this ceremony, this introduction of art where it wasn't, strictly speaking, needed helped connect them with the communities that they were a part of and helped keep them in cohesion as they were doing the work and made it an experience that went beyond just, okay, we're here to help, and rather turned into a profoundly human experience. I think it's important to, to recognize as we talk about the connection with art and activism that they brought art with them not as a thing that was optional, but that actually was essential to the work that they were doing. And very helpful for the locals, for the people who weren't able to conjure that on their own. You know, it's, it's actually funny. In 1992, this week, was Hurricane Andrew uh, in Homestead, mm. Florida, and I was actually in the house with my family as it was being torn apart. We ended up in the closet together. Uh, mom, dad, uncle, uh, my brother, the dog in the kitchen, and the two cats who always hate each other conveniently located in the bathtub. Uh, 
And we lived in basically this kind of environment, where, except the dust at that time was drywall and fiberglass. And um, that was one of the bigger campsite, uh, ref- let's call it refugee camp living. In a way, I sort of always lean back to that as a reminder, the hardship of that one year of my life always having been so difficult makes this actually pretty darn easy. I always kind of connect that experience and that hardship as something that wasn't a failure on our part. We actually were adequately prepared for um, at least a month after then uh, we needed help. <laughs> but uh, having gone through that level of suffering and being reminded of that is something that makes me appreciate the, the good fortune that I'm able to have the rest of the year. Mm-hmm. Things going wrong as useful perspective for the rest mm-hmm. of your life. Exactly. Yeah. Breaking news out of Black Rock City, the man is gone. What? He's gone. Well, I saw him last night down at um, Spanky's Wine Bar. Yeah. I thought he said he was going to get up early and get back on it. He's not there yet? He's been discovered at Heebie-Jeebies. <laughs> getting a full body massage. He's on a journey of self-discovery. Oh, yeah. Might be back by Saturday. I hope so. We'll I see. hope he's back by Saturday. Yeah. We'll see. Right. I hope he's back by burn day. <laughs> Try to get people on that. <laughs> this is Burning Man Live, live at Burning Man. I'm your host, Stuart Mangrum, director of the Burning Man Philosophical Center. With me are Motorbike Matt, K-Bot, and as always, Bav. Although I've got to pull my ripcord pretty soon and jump out of this airplane because uh, I got another thing. And I have expectations that it goes very well, so I must go there and try to make every, every dot be crossed and that, very T be eyed. That, you just got past this. Okay. Just take a deep breath. Take a deep breath. Take a deep breath. It will mm. go just the way it's supposed to be. It smells like smoke and dust. The stakes are low. The stakes are low. It is worth noting that for all of the stakes in Burning Man, uh, disasters are often remarkably low stakes, that we do feel this very, very intensely. There's something about that, that passion that we bring to it. Even if the stakes are low, we care profoundly deeply, which means that Something is speaking to us. Yeah. No, I think that the steaks just got moved out of the refrigerator truck. (laughs) 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 T-bone. I was drawing a picture of a T-bone steak. That's perfect. Like mine. Radio magic. (laughs) Now I'm hungry. Yes. Let me ask you this, and maybe this is our final question for this episode of Burning Man Live. What failures are you looking forward to, if that's the right phrase? What, do you, what failures do you see in your future that you think you might learn something from or you, you are expecting to learn something from? So many of us are in new roles, and so many departments have altered and changed as far as the org that produces this big potluck uh, that I'm looking forward to the failures that are going to lead us to the next successes. You know, one day I'm hoping to be a wise elder, where I just sit around and dispense wisdom and people see me as a mentor and I get to offer value, even if it's not the, the value of vitality, of youth, of novel curiosity. And I think in order for me to become a wise elder, other than surviving, what I'll need to do is make mistakes over and over and not be dissuaded by them. That which does not kill you makes you wiser. Yes, or maims you horribly. But that would make you wiser as well. If you can accept the wisdom from it, because that's, that's one of the big distinctions, is that some people, when they fail, they don't learn. 
they, they, they keep making the same mistakes or variations on that over and over again. The wisdom comes from learning. Shit. Which I don't think happens automatically, but can happen surprisingly easily. The failure that I'm really looking forward to is even though it's been very challenging to be working for Burning Man Project during a three-year period when we had no event, we got a little bit in our groove. It was a shake-up, and then we kind of got back on track, and we made some stuff, and it worked, and it was good, even though we had some somewhat failed experiments along the way, and that was great because we're Burning Man. But now that we've come to the desert and we've done this again, I'm fully expecting two to three months of disruption when I get back because we're no longer complacent and everything is going to shift and there are going to be new players and new ideas and new projects that we're testing out rolling into the end of this year. That's going to be exciting, but I expect there will be a few failures along the way. Part of me is like a little mortified about the failures that are coming because they're coming. Not everything is going to get done, not just here, but at home and in default world. And I think it's going to be exciting slash maybe relieving that it'll just be the recognition that maybe I bit off too much that I could chew. And now maybe I have to start recognizing where my actual limits are. And that knowing how to operate within the limits, which I don't know where they are right now, but we'll see how bad things break. Getting that kind of failure behind me and learning from it is um, I'm actually in a like rip the band-aid off kind of way excited to, to kind of get over with. I just want to interject for one minute because I want to confirm that the topic of this podcast was when things go wrong. And I want to be really clear that sometimes when things go wrong, it's not a failure. And I'm not talking yeah. about success coming from your failures. Mm-hmm. I'm saying sometimes shit just goes wrong. Right. Nothing failed. It just didn't go the way we expected. Right. So I just wanted to course correct a, a tiny point. bit so that this whole topic around failure is not yeah. all we focus on. I'm reminded in that vein that Burning Man moved to the desert because things no longer were going right on Baker Beach. That was getting shut down, that the police said no, and that Larry decided, yes, we're not going to, to, to fight that. Um, and that instead of doubling down on Baker Beach, instead of saying, all right, well, we're coming back next year, we'll have the permits, we'll do this, that when uh, the Cacophony Society said, hey, want to try this thing out in the desert? He said, sure, okay. And everything in our culture emerged out of that. The city emerged out of not doubling down on something that Mm -hmm. he thought was supposed to happen, but rather saying, okay, where can we take this now? Where where are we going to go? It was an evolution, in a sense. Yeah. Things not going right may very well be a, uh, a hallmark of evolution. When things are no longer functioning predictably, that can be a sign of growth. An experiment, a creative, mm-hmm. or a book that I read called A Beautiful Oops. <laughs> we cannot grow smoothly, necessarily. All growth has, uh, has this kind of bumps in the road. When you look at self-help culture and you look at what's being put out by a lot of sort of gurus right now, it's always so clean and tidy. There's like little steps and little like bits of advice and you can follow this program. But Burning Man is not a program. It is messy and you throw yourself into it and then you just pick up the pieces and say, who am I now? And that's the beauty. When I unplug from my technology out here, and I unplug from my routine 
paths and grooves of the cities that I come from, I wander around out here looking for something and I get lost or I can't find it. Then I run into someone and they point me in a different direction and I end up being happier that I got lost than had I found where I was going. Burning Man, in a way that self-help culture certainly does not, allows for our individuality, allows for our messiness, allows for our weirdness and idiosyncrasy. I mean, there's no good reason that we do most of the things that we do out here from a sort of a self-help standpoint, from a productivity culture standpoint. And yet we do it and it is amazing and it's extraordinary and we discover that there is value both in the idiosyncrasies of others and in our own idiosyncrasies. Our, our weird humanity, when it has time to blossom and flourish, um, does incredible things that an efficiency emphasis cannot. Efficiency third is uh, also a good motto for us. What if the self doesn't need help? Ooh, Bav, washing your own brain. I think the self needs change. The self needs dynamicism. But you're right, that isn't the same thing as help. Change and or acceptance. Both. And I think we are very good at accepting accepting people's weird and wonderful selves while also helping them direct themselves in ways that are meaningful to them where they can change. That brings me to this amazing Burning Man moment that I had several years ago riding home slowly late at night through the city and my friend and I turned our heads and there was like, you know, the peanuts dance. That cartoon where everyone's doing their weird freaky dance all together. Mm -hmm. That was literally happening at a camp. It was super late at night and every person in that camp was magically beautifully freaky. They were all doing their own little dance by themselves, you know, late at night. It was the perfect Peanuts dance moment. And I remember my friend Henry and I just looked at each other and went, yeah. And then we just kept on riding. It was just this glimpse of this thing happening. That's kind of Burning Man. That's kind of what we're all doing is our weird little dance out here. The only thing I would add to that is that sometimes we go to the weird dance and say, can we help? Mm. And to me, that is the, the moment where Burning Man is really happening. Mm -hmm. Or we just get off our bikes and get in there and dance our own weird little dance with yeah. everybody. The opportunity to co-create is where amazing things happen. It's a little bit spectator-ish, but it was also just a glimpse into some kind of perfection. It's wonderful. It's a wonderful image. Uh, uh, Brooke, sorry. Just to wrap this up, I just wanted to give you guys some peace of mind. The man is back. Oh, mm. oh good. He's wearing a clown suit. Oh. Oh, oh well. He felt like that was the peak of evolution. <laughs> How does Man Crew feel about that? Man Crew, the people who build the man, are they coping with this transition all right? They're also wearing clowns. <laughs> Waking dreams is really turning into some kind of clown nightmare dream. Perhaps. I As think that should. was inevitable. been a podcast about things going wrong where things have gone so right despite so many things going so wrong <laughs> i'm Stuart mangram i'm really Stuart mangram your host director of burning man's philosophical center and i've been talking with vav kbot and the producer of burning man's webcast motorbike matt any final words remember kids when things get weird focus on the people and do the work you can participate from home, too. You don't have to be in the dust.
you can have things go wrong like this anywhere. Yeah, you can, <laughs> you, Fuck you, up you, your life any way you like. It's still Burning Man. The fundamental message of Burning Man is not you had to be here to experience it. Right. It's I can do this too. I can see this. I can participate. I can do this too. And it will be glorious and it will be messy and so many things will go wrong. But somehow you'll be glad you did it. like to thank Brooke for helping us keep up to date with what's going on in Black Rock City. Now that the man is back, we are going to go have a Burning Man. Thank you, everyone. Thanks, Larry. Thanks, Larry. And thanks, Larry. (laughs) It has given me a greater sense of the importance of these qualities that I need to work on, that I have learned more about... (laughs) I've learned more about why they matter and when to bring them in, and how to understand how I'm working with other people.